Ay, qué hambre. ¿Pasamos por McDonald's? Va. ¿Qué ordenas normalmente? Mm, una quarter pounder. Ah, eres una burger person. <risa> y unos McNuggets. Ah, eres de las mías. <risa> El la mejor manera de conocer a alguien deal de McDonald's. Ordena por anticipado por el app de McDonald's y llévate dos de tus favoritos, como un McNuggets de 10 piezas y una Quarter Pounder por solo 6 dólares. Precios y participación pueden variar producto individual a precio regular. Welcome to the Say It Ain't Contagious podcast. I am Craig Calcaterra. I am here today with Lincoln Mitchell and Frank Gerrity. Uh, and we are talking about fandom, uh, what it means to be a fan, uh, what it doesn't mean to be a fan, why anybody's a fan to begin with. It's, uh, it's a silly business. It's a very silly business. And uh, we're going to talk silly about it for a little while. So, uh, so how are you doing, Lincoln? How are you doing, Frank? Doing all right. Doing all right. We're surviving it. We're all back from Cancun very quickly. Yeah, I mean, my, from, well, my, uh, kids, my our... kids maybe go to Cancun, but I came back. I hate it when yeah. that happens. It's yeah. the worst. Kids, kids are terrible. Yeah. Folks never have kids. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not back from Cancun, but I, I have many friends and family in Texas who are suffering the consequences of the senator who is in uh, Cancun and the rest of the Yahoo's who run that uh, state. Yeah, I, I, I too. My, my in-laws live in Texas, and uh, they uh, now unfortunately are in a worse situation because Ted Cruz is back in the state, but we'll... Hopefully, things will get hammered out there this week as it gets warmer. We also should take a moment, and I don't know what the word is, but they're fulfilling the verb of your choice, the death of Rush Limbaugh. I spoke to my uh, 80-year-old mother in San Francisco today, and, and her she told me, well, the right people are dying. That made my, that made my day yesterday and today. That was my mother's feedback. <laughs> Man, your mom is harsh. Yeah, don't mess with it. <laughs> Can I say something speaking speaking about uh, deaths? Uh, this is actually pertinent to, uh, I think, our discussion of baseball. Uh, Johnny Pacheco, who's a very famous band leader of the um, legendary salsa group, uh, the Fanny All-Stars, passed away uh, this week. I think he was 85 years old. And if we're going to talk about the impact of Latino and Caribbean uh, Latino culture in this society, in the, in the United States, certainly during the 1970s, one, one, one could look at Pacheco's work with the Fanny All-Stars and the legendary group of musicians that they pulled together. So I've been thinking about him a lot as it, as it pertains to, you know, fandom, uh, Latino culture. And, and I, I think we see similar dynamics when we talk about uh, Caribbean Latino fandom with respect to baseball. Well, let's, let's get into that. Let's, we'll, we'll back up first and, and talk about fandom. Let's, Lincoln, this was, this was, I mean, I, I'm writing a book about fandom. I'll be up front. And, um, uh, my my idea is is my, it's called rethinking fandom anyway. That's the 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 working title of this book that I'm supposed to be writing and kind of writing right now. And I'm trying to get my brain around what it is, what it isn't, um, wh- how it could be better, how it, how it's not so good, how it's great, you know, everything. Um, but Lincoln, you're the one that uh, suggested the idea of talking about fandom here in the podcast. What what was really motivating you there, and and how would you like to jump well, into this? Well, one was just a syntactical question, which is that I'm not sure fandom is a word, so I was hoping we could really dig into that. Um, but what strikes me about this is a few years ago, this is now probably five or ten years ago, or at least at least maybe eight ten years ago, I co- for many years I coached little league baseball. I had two sons who played ball and all of that, and. I would every week with the announcement about, you know, practice and, you know, who's bringing the snack and these were young kids, I would ask a baseball trivia question. And the parents would try with not much luck to get them right. But one parent really was good. 
And after several weeks of this, he wrote me an email. He said, you, you know so much about baseball. Did you ever, are you working baseball or something? And I said, no, quite the opposite. Over the years, I've probably spent thousands of dollars on tickets and baseball cards and, you know, baseball hats and concessions at the ball game and parking. And it just back then just struck me what an odd relationship it is for me and, you know, many, many others to have with this institution, where it is something that we feel is such a big part of our lives and is very much something abstract, but it's also something deeply personal. And then it's also, there's also a major kind of economic and financial side to this. So those were the battery of issues that kind of interest me because, you know, that we had an early podcast where there's a discussion between you and Steve and Tova about, you know, you don't consider yourself fans. And Tova and I saying, you know, we do. And, and I think uh, Adrian and Frank, maybe I'm, I'm not sure what position you took on that, but it strikes me as an interesting question uh, because as we get closer to this, to baseball, you know, to, to the institution, that, that, that role of the fan kind of fades away. But it also strikes me that the role of the fan is actually very important in all of this. The whole thing exists for that. And I guess I even want to get more fundamental than that because I, I have this weird relationship with fandom that I'll talk about in a second. But I want to ask Frank, how, how did you become a baseball fan? And I don't mean that like, what's your origin story? Oh, I got really into you know the team I follow or whatever. I mean, did you have, were you socialized into being a sports fan by, by parents or family members? Did you just come to it yourself? How did that start? I was socialized into becoming a fan when I was seven or eight uh, living in New York City. Uh, and uh, this is the heyday of the Steinbrenner, or, you know, the early Steinbrenner Yankees in the late 70s, you know, when Reggie Jackson was their star. And as a child of Dominican and Puerto Rican parents, uh, baseball was big in my family, big uh, for my grandfather in particular, my Dominican grandfather. And, uh, you know, they, they sort of introduced me to the game growing up from their perspective. You know, this is one, something that Adrian, our co-host, has written about, the ways in which, you know, Caribbean peoples have their own relationship to the spectatorship of, of baseball, you know, in their societies in the Caribbean, but also, you know, in the United States. And so I felt like I was sort of learning a kind of cultural inheritance by, you know, by becoming a fan and then and then playing myself, you know. Um, and it was tied to the New York teams, but then over time, it, it really stretched beyond any sort of connection to the Yankees or the Mets or any New York team for that matter. So, you know, I think, you know, for me, it was about now in retrospect, I think being in touch with my family roots as children of, of, of an immigrant, a child of an immigrant family, and, and then also really understanding the place that baseball could have in our community in the Bronx at that time. How'd that work for you, Lincoln? Was it the same sort of thing? Was it handed down to you? Well, my, my baseball fan origin story is actually quite different. Uh, I, I grew up in San Francisco, essentially the son of a, uh, a single mother. I had a relationship with my, my late father. and We were very close, but not, he wasn't around, really. My father lost an interest in baseball around the time Stan Musial retired. So I had none of those kind of father-son baseball rituals. You know, as, as, as Frank said, baseball plays a, a role in, in different cultures in different ways. And in the Jewish American culture, baseball has always been a, a big part of, of our kind of embrace of this, of this country. And, and unlike other groups did not, did, did not take sports or activities from, with us from the, from the old country. But in my case, I, I discovered baseball, I think, because it was something to do. I mean, I was, you know, my mom had been a Yankees fan in the, in the 50s here in New York but was not particularly interested in baseball. She kind of encouraged uh, me and my brother to be baseball fans because she felt it was a way to kind of, us kind of learn the language of what it meant to be a man in America and to kind of, which was an odd thing, but I think she would say that. Uh, you know, at some point in our childhood, she discovered that if she gave us six bucks, 
each, we'd be gone for the whole day. Uh, and, and that would cover, you know, transportation on the Ballpark Express, some kind of crappy meal at Candlestick Park, and a ticket in the upper deck. And, and so she encouraged it from that perspective. And then I started, you know, playing it too. And it, w it was just kind of, it, it, I think what drew me to it was it was something that I could really dig my, sink my teeth into from a lot of perspectives, from lots of perspectives. So one of the first ways I became interested in baseball was reading about it. And, and I've been reading obsessively about everything my whole life and baseball probably more than, than any other, but it became, particularly the reading baseball books, became the psychological safe space for me over time. So I think my situation is a little closer to yours than it is to Frank's in that, you know, my I don't come from an athletic family at all or a family that was at all interested in sports. I had a great uncle who was a very big Tigers fan, and he sort of got my brother and I into it a little bit, but that was only after we had expressed sort of an intellectual interest ourselves. And uh, my my parents encouraged it when I showed an interest in baseball. They, you know, helped me get baseball cards and books and things like that. But it wasn't like, you know, dad playing catch with son and taking him to the ball game. And I think my dad was aware of who Al Kaline was, but beyond that wasn't really, you know, cognizant or, or too aware of what was going on with the Detroit Tigers of either his childhood or mine. So it was something I sort of explored myself and along with my brother. And we explored it sort of in the same way you mentioned, kind of a, an intellectual thing instead of a cultural thing or, or, a, or a matter of inheritance. And I think because of that and because of the fact that when I was at a pretty critical age, around 11 or 12, we moved away from a, an area where baseball was big and where people had a local rooting interest. I moved to a completely different state and there weren't a lot of baseball fans where I, where I lived. There weren't people who were into the team that I was into or the team that I eventually adopted because of cable television. And so it was a very solitary pursuit. And I offer that to get into this notion that's out there. I think right now, modern fandom, at least among current fans, people around our age or younger, tends to be defined in the way that a lot of sort of internet or, or, or sports media people have sort of defined it. And a, a guy who's really big on this is, is Bill Simmons, the Boston sports guy, the sports guy, you know, Bill Simmons, yes. right? Everybody knows Bill Simmons, right? And, and he's, he's <laughs> yes. sort of helped define this culture. And in one of his books, I, I think it was his, uh, his, his Red Sox book, Now I Can Die in Peace, he talks about fandom as a giant group hug uh, among a city of, you know, or a community or a region of 10 million people. Uh, this is something we all share. This is what it's all about. And I think ever since he became a big thing, or maybe just coincidental, maybe it's an internet thing where you could have shared fandom in a much more robust way than you could before the internet, that's kind of been the default. And I have absolutely never felt that at all. I've never been a part of that community at all. Even when the team that I like won the World Series in 1995, uh, you know, it was all a very attenuated, distant kind of thing. And I, I guess I don't get it. I understand what, what the appeal is, but I've never felt it. And so ever since I've been made aware of that kind of conception of fandom, I've been trying to think of, is that the only way to do it? Is is that, if you if you don't feel that way about sports are you something of a lesser fan i and that's what i try to get my brain around that's a great question you know so a great observation i think i think you're probably onto something there with you know connecting kind of the ways in which modern fandom has you know changed as a result of the internet and and, and the result of people like uh, simmons but i mean to me the question the answer is yeah there are very various ways to be fans uh and i think that we oversimplify and we have negative connotations when we think about fandom, you know, uh, as this kind of mindless exercise of group hugging or tailgating in the case of football. Oops, I mentioned football. I'm not supposed to do that. <laughs> uh, uh, or, you know, whatever the kind of, you know, rituals that we associate with kind of mindless baseball. 
fandom or you know even the, the ways it's changed as a result of you know um, you know things like sabermetrics you know or, or the kinds of fantasy sorts of things that we see that put the fan in position of, of the gm you know uh that's become much more pronounced i think in recent years than it was i think when we were growing up at least that's my perception yeah when i was growing up if you played you know stratomatic or appa that was the closest you had those were kind of tabletop baseball games and those were for them. I mean, like I played those games and I remember I had a good friend. We're still friends. And he used to call it Dungeons and Dragons for baseball, which is actually a pretty good way to, to think of it. But Frank gets to a, a good point. There are so many different ways. To me, that's the appeal of baseball. And it's even more true in the age of the Internet. I mean, I, I'm struck by I think the younger fans won't believe this. But 35 years ago, if you knew the name of two prospects in your favorite team's organization, you were kind of a weirdo. And, oh, yeah. and now, if you don't know the top 30, and, and just mathematically, the top 30, half of those guys aren't going to make it. But that's, so, so there's all these ways that we, we dive deeper. Um, but, but it's also this, to me, there's this question of being a baseball fan. I like all things related to baseball. So I have a display of baseball cards that are just kind of among my favorites. And there's guys from you know, all kinds of different teams, including at least two Dodgers, Maury Wills and, and Fernando Valenzuela. Um, but... But then there's the fan of being the intense fan of a team. And I think, Craig, that's a little bit what you're touching on. And that is a little different. I mean, I know that when the Giants finally won in 2010, it was a big deal for the city, but not the way it was for the Red Sox fans. And that's part of the fan culture. So what Bill Simmons talks about, it's a little different in Northern California. Now, my grandfather grew up in the Bronx, but if my grandfather had grown up in San Francisco, he would have been a Seals fan, not a Giants fan. And my and so so it, it affects different regions differently. I, I think that's true. Uh, and just a couple of things you said. I I have a friend who, when I really started getting into sabermetrics and things like that, you know, twenty years ago or whatever, he said when we were kids, everybody wanted to grow up to be the center fielder, and now everybody wants to grow up to be the general manager. And I think that that definitely identifies a a certain type of baseball fan, one that I'm very, very much exposed to because I'm a baseball writer online who is a fellow traveler of the sabermetric world. So there's that. But then that whole idea of I'm a, I'm a baseball fan and I'm into all things baseball versus go socks or go whatever. Those are two different worlds for me. And I, I, when I'm writing and in my experience as a baseball writer, I probably deal with the former group more, just that's who's more drawn to me. But when something happens, you know, when, when the Royals won the World Series uh, or something came up with the Royals a few years ago, all of a sudden this whole world of uh, intense Kansas City Royals fans appeared to me in a way that they had been completely invisible online in my comment section and on social media for years and years and years. And all of a sudden the Go Royals group is there. Now they're gone again, of course, but they were there. And uh, going from, from one mode of fandom to another is just so strange. And I, I think it's less strange in, in other sports, uh, but it's almost like this huge divide in baseball of being just a general fan of baseball versus being a, a partisan of, of one team in a very intense way. Do you think, so you, I mean, I think, I, I don't, I'm not disagreeing with you actively, but uh, you know, I, don't you think that, uh, well, I'll just ask you to, can't you experience uh, the go Sox feeling when you see a, a, an extraordinary performance by a baseball player in a given game? You know, I mean, I think for me, you know, I, I shifted away from team specific rooting, but I can get moved when I see Mookie Betts make a great catch or when I see something happening, you know, that somebody's, you know, storyline in their own the arc of their career or doing something they hadn't done before or, or not doing it well. Right. Uh, Absolutely. 
you know, so like some, I think sometimes, you know, fandom in my mind gets equated with this kind of emotional state, which then leads us to think, you know, that this is an irrational exercise in pulling or rooting for somebody or, or, or even a team. You know, I think that, uh, you know, I, I've been able, at least my own spectating practices, make that shift from, you know, doing the analytic intellectual um, work as a scholar, but also somebody who follows the game, but then also being, you know, moved to tears when, you know, when something great happens at a baseball game. I suspect a lot of fans are both and you go back and forth depending on the moment. So I can uh, like the, the last year's world series. I, I, I almost always enjoy the world series. Even if teams it's between, you know, the Indians and the Cubs, two teams I don't care a lot about, you know, I have a strong rooting interest. I have a historical interest. So I think a lot of fans feel that way. That's why people watch when their team isn't involved. But to me, the gateway drug is rooting for that team. I don't know a lot of fans who, who get involved and just, you know, they're spent at 10 years old, they're growing up in say Chicago, but you know, they don't really care who wins. It seems like the gateway drug is there. And, and that's also, that's the only, without that, it's very hard to really dig deep into the game now. And this gets to another point, which is that unlike the two of you, it sounds like, you know, I, I was raised, my grandfather became moved to the Bronx around the time the Yankees got Babe Ruth. And uh, was a Yankees fan his whole life, except for from 1947 to 1957, when because of his politics, which were, uh, he was my grandfather, you can imagine what his politics were, uh, <laughs> he, he became a, a Dodgers fan, he and, and my grandmother and my aunt, because of Jackie Robinson, my mother stubbornly refused to do that and remained a Yankees fan. Then the Dodgers moved west and he went back to being a, a Yankees fan. But the reason I say that, I mean, he wasn't a big baseball fan, but, but is that what strikes me is when we say that this words like we've been thrown around in this conversation, the Braves, the Dodgers, the uh, Rays, the Mariners, the Yankees, Mets, what is the, what are we talking about? We, the, the fans, I, I mean that as a real question, not as a sarcastic question. What, what does it mean to be the Yankees? Who are the Yankees? Is it the people who happen to be uh, playing for that team and on their payroll or wearing that laundry this week? Is it, the people who have to own it, who happen to own it for this few years? What about the person who's been rooting for that team for half a century and can't change it? I mean, I got a neighbor and a friend who's been a Yankees fan since the early 1950s, maybe mid 50s. He still talks about Mickey Mantle as if he had just hit a home run. I mean, he's that much of a Yankees fan and a Mickey Mantle fan, but he can't become a Red Sox fan. He can't. The permanence is, is more of the fans. Teams can move cities. That might rupture it. Teams can move stadiums. Players change. Managers change. Owners sell. Fans are the are the constants. And you know, it's funny when you when you were saying this, it reminded me of the thing that we that we that the, the term that gets associated with with allegiance to a team that being nation, right. Red Sox nation, Yankee nation. Right? It's an interesting way in which the nationalism has somehow become associated with the, an affiliation with the team. I associate this. I've been I'm trying to get a student to actually study the kind of the ways in which this discourse of nation becomes associated with a, you know, with a fandom of a certain team. But I feel like when the Red Sox won in 2004, like that's when I started to see this proliferation of nation, you know, so there's a, a Tampa Bay Rays nation, which of course is absurd. There is not. Right. Um, I don't think there's a neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but, but yet with teams like the Red Sox and probably the Yankees and the Dodgers that have a national following, 
you know, their following transcends geography, you know, because of the history of moves in the case of the Dodgers and because of the popularity, but also because of marketing. This whole this whole marketing, this notion of, of belonging to a nation, Raider Nation in the case of football. Well, it's 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 aspirational, right? Because before there was Red Sox Nation and before there was the Yankees universe in the 1980s, Ted Turner made the audacious and audacious and ridiculous claim that the Braves were America's team. Uh, and that's how they would be introduced on TBS. And the only I, the only claim for that was because they had nationwide broadcasting. Red Sox Nation sort of grew up as far as this idea, I think, of there are more of us than you think. We're big. We're strong. It was a boast. And then Yankees Universe was a direct reaction to that. We're bigger than a nation. We're a universe. So so part of that is a self, you know, you're you're telling yourself stories about your culture and, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're legends and things. But we talk about this also in less big terms. We talk about it as far as rooting for laundry. You've heard that phrase a million times, right? And and I like to throw out that phrase. A lot of people do because it, it's sort of, it, it's a way of allowing you to distance yourself from maybe bad things your team's ownership does. I'm just rooting for laundry, but I think it's deeper than that. I think we're being a little flippant when we say that because, and this gets to Lincoln's point, what we're really rooting for is sort of this long going story or saga of a franchise we might not realize we're even doing that but i think that's what we're doing we talked last year remember when uh, during the one of the video things we did we were talking i think steve brought this up uh about why you can't get into korean baseball very easily or, or, or baseball from taiwan very easily because you just don't know the narrative right i mean you can enjoy the game for what it is but there's so much more that we bring into a game we bring in the known history of just the not just these players but the whole franchise so when 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 you say rooting for a team, uh, you know you're you're rooting for these guys that you see, remembering them when they were drafted, seeing them come up as rookies, and seeing them develop. There's a whole story there. There's a story, and there's also, and there's also, and this is this is where I think, I think this is this is an important point too. Like, I mean, obviously, a lot of franchises like to represent themselves as representing the, representing their their city, right? And when you have these franchises that have deep roots in a place like a Yankees or you know a Red Sox. You know, part of what 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 uh, pulls people in is their relationship to the city's identity, or in the case of the Yankees, the Bronx, right? Um, and that so that you know, and and owners are very good at selling their teams as having this sort of civic quality, or this sort of you know quality that uh, that uh, that has their roots, you know, digging deep into the, the surrounding neighborhood of the city. And I, I think that's another factor, right? Even if it's just mythology, you know, in addition to the kind of narrative that teams have, franchises have. Red Sox winning finally in 2004, the course of the Bambino, etc., is this kind of relationship that it has to the, to the community that it, that it, it supposedly represents. Welcome back to the quickest podcast ever. Brought to you by Kohl's. Today's topic, fall style. Wait, wasn't it just June? Right? So I went to Kohl's. Of course you did. I got a cute Kara Santana for Nine West sweater for 25% off and a great pair of Vans. Love Vans. And save 25% on a champion hoodie for my husband. Ooh, sounds cozy. You should go. You'll get 15% off or 15, 20, or even 30% off with a Kohl's card. BRB. Select styles. Offers end September 26th. Champion coupons do not apply. Some exclusions apply. See store or for details. Life gets a lot more magical when you dream. So let's dream of a vacation unlike any other. A magical Disney cruise. <laughs> Hiya, pal! Where new stories meet tales as old as time. Enchanté, mon ami! And your family will be cared for the moment you step aboard. Sail from Florida to Disney's private island paradise and get ready for a dream come true with Disney Cruise Line. 
want to go back to this question of nation because, and this question of America's team, because I, I was reminded of an incident several years ago. I was, I was leaving a meeting in Washington. I was getting ready to come home to New York. It was pouring rain, and it was uh, something to do with Georgian politics. And uh, a Georgian colleague of mine, who obviously was Georgia the country, not the state, um, unfamiliar with baseball, as I was putting on like my slicker and my baseball cap to go outside, she just assumed it was a Yankees hat because to her, baseball, America, Yankees are all kind of one, one grouping. And she said, oh, Yankees. And I said, actually, we play baseball everywhere in America, which was a little bit nastier than it needed to be. And she was a friend. And, and, and maybe it wasn't appropriate, but it, it does get to this idea of, I mean, of, of, of nation there in, in a much larger sense. But I think it is, you know, one of the odd things about being a baseball fan, a sports team fan, is that it becomes part of your identity, right? I'm a Yankees fan. I'm a Red Sox fan. I'm a Mets fan, whatever it is. And then people... And then people kind of almost judge you based on it. And, and that's kind of odd as well. So the Yankees have this reputation, you know, rooting for uh, the Yankees, like rooting for U.S. Steel, you know, all that kind of thing. But many Yankees fans, just because they were from the their parents or they were, grew up in the Bronx or something, or in northern Manhattan, you know, after the Giants left. So it's, it's this odd thing where it kind of frames people's perceptions of us, even though we don't, no one sits down and rationally says, you know, as a young person, based on my personality and my political views, for what team should I root? I guess I'll become a Chicago White Sox fan, even though they live in, you know, Portland or something, right? Or, or you know, Oakland or something. We've been joined by Adrian here. Adrian, how you doing? I'm doing well. I wanted to ask you the question that I asked Lincoln and, and Frank earlier. Did you inherit baseball fandom or did you find your way into it? I inherited baseball fandom. Funny enough, it was from my mom and my grandmothers, who were the big baseball fans. My dad likes baseball. My mom loves baseball. And she was a Yankee fan, and I was born in the Bronx. And when we moved to Florida, we moved to Fort Lauderdale, about a mile and a half from Little Yankee Stadium. And my mom would take me to spring training and drop me off with the uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwich, a quarter, to call home when, uh, when my day was uh, ready, done at the ballpark. And so that's where I began my love of the game. So we, we've been talking about the civic thing now. Lincoln's brought up the civic thing, and, and Frank has mentioned it too, the, the nation or the universe. I think it's toxic sometimes. And I don't mean just toxic as far as what you were, you were mentioning, Lincoln, as far as, oh, you're U.S. Steel or whatever. But there's something about it. Baseball and the baseball industrial complex and sports media and everything else has, in my view, this is a thing that I've just been really big on lately is they've taken so much advantage of it they leverage it they've leveraged that sort of civic pride or group pride thing that we all have and that we've all come to naturally one way or another and that's how you get taxpayer money for a stadium right well do you really support uh do you really support miami or do you not if you support miami you'll be for the marlins referendum here for the for the tax levy or whatever although they didn't even vote on that one and we they've sort of leverage this emotional regional attachment we have to teams or or emotional historical reaction we have to teams relationship we have to teams into something else and and that's what bothers me and this is why i start thinking about rethinking fandom of trying to break out of that mold because you know associating yourself with a region and a team to the point where the team sort of tries to identify itself when it uh, suits its interests as, as being some sort of help, aid, or savior to a region for, for things that have nothing to do with sports. This is a problem for me, and I'm having a hard time getting my brain around it. 
It's a major problem. It's a major problem. The, the two sides of the same coin are that that's what makes professional sports a big industry. People don't love baseball for the grace of Mookie Betts making a great catch, right? Or for, you know, some pitcher's fastball. They love it for the very irrational reason that once every 15, 20, 30, or if you're a Cubs fan, 80 years, your team will win the World Series. And that's why they love it. And that's, it's almost like an addiction. You know, I'm not so and, sure, Lincoln. I'm not so sure about that. You know, I, I feel like, and this is going to be interesting because as, you know, Craig writes about this all the time, as teams, you know, clearly show that they're only so interested in, interested in winning. I mean, they tell their fan bases they're interested in winning, but it's, it's pretty clear that, you know, these uh, hedge fund Bretts who own so many of these um, franchises now, that they're, 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 you know, the bottom line is always important, but like this notion that they're there just to win championships you know, is, 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 I think it's becoming clear that they're not always invested in that. Uh, and then, and yet people will watch games anyway. I mean, I, I do think Craig is right about the manipulation aspect. You're exactly right. I mean, the owners manipulate the, these attachments we have. Uh, and certainly people want to see their teams win the World Series. But they, they also just want to go to games. They also want to watch. They like the ritual, especially baseball fans. But we do see that teams that aren't good, just for a few years in a row, their ratings go down, the attendance, there are exceptions. You build a new ballpark or something, that's different. But there is a relationship between these, between these things. And, and to some extent, you're right. Now, people will want a day at the ballpark once we can back to, to go back to the ballpark. But to get it to the level, and, and, and the irrational part is that there are 30 teams. That means that if you're really lucky, mathematically, your team will win three times in, in, a, in a year, you know, in your lifetime, right? And, and what I find is that we've all, we've all have our own journeys and our own team or teams that we, for which we root. But I, I wrote about this ages ago somewhere, and I was making this argument that increasingly you're going to see people, if you are, let's just say, a Pirates fan, right? You'll be a Pirates fan, but you'll also have a rooting interest in one of the kind of mega teams, Yankees, Dodgers, Red Sox, Cubs, whatever. Because otherwise, you can't sustain a lifetime of being a baseball fan knowing that if you're lucky, You'll, you'll see them win three times. I mean, I, mean the, you know, I, I have friends who are hard, hardcore Giants fans, and they're just like, well, they're not going to win again in my life. Like, I'm done. Like, like, they still love the team, but they've kind of like psychologically recognized it's not going to happen again because just the odds. No, and I, I hear what you say, Lincoln, but I come at it at a slightly different angle and thinking about, again, Yankee fan, I was upset that the Red Sox traded Mookie Betts on one level because I got to see Mookie play so much and see his amazing talent on the field and now that he's in LA I don't get to see it as often you will because you love the Giants and you'll get to see the Giants and the and the uh, Dodgers face off the other part about that is I love seeing really good players perform and one of the really interesting things about baseball is our fascination with the anomalous kind of performance i was talking with my two girls the other day sharing a little bit of baseball trivia that there's only been one player who's ever hit a walk-off grand slam home run inside the park and it was roberto clemente but the possibility that something that you've never really seen before happens is kind of present in baseball that brings me back to the game and that's part of my fandom but does that, how many fans does that bring back to the game? I mean, that, you know, we're on the high end, all of us on this call, definitionally are on the, the right side of the bell curve about, you know, interest in baseball. So here's a, here's a question that you bring up this, uh, you can't be sustained if your team's never going to win. Well, baseball became the national pastime at a time when three teams like won all the time. 
I mean, it, before before the 1960s, if you rooted for any of the, you know, 12 the Washington senators, yeah. for example. <laughs> but Craig, that's, I think that history is wrong. I think that history is wrong. Baseball became the national pastime earlier than that, and it became national pastime. Though it was always pastime, right? Which is an odd. I mean, if you're when I was a kid, I don't think I ever saw the word written pastime anywhere except for national pastime. But it became a pastime, national pastime, as in something to do. The first half of the 20th century, baseball, the ratio of people who played baseball to people who watched baseball was much different than it is now. And secondly, it was watched in all different ways by different groups of people in different places. So Major League Baseball was a much smaller part of the kind of montage of, of you know, competitive baseball that was being played that it is now. So I'm not sure. That's I, true, but we can go back pretty damn far and, and have it be the case that most fans didn't have a chance to see their teams win. I mean, your grandfather, who became a Yankees fan around the time Ruth came, from, from that time on, for the next 40 years or so, most teams just didn't have a, a, a shot. Most Major League Baseball teams did not. Yes, right. that is right. And then we had that a period. Is right, but, but that's a smaller piece of the puzzle. Right, but then we had a period from the 60s through the, the, the early 90s, I would guess, I would say, when there was great parity in the game. And you might every few years have a chance for your team to at least make the playoffs or to maybe make some noise. And now, granted, there were still some sad sacks around, but it, it, it was a lot more of an equal playing field. And then we've sort of gone back a little bit. I, I, I would argue that we actually still have great parity in the game, um, especially if you measure it by championships. But uh, overall, we're in a place now where, again, because teams aren't trying to win as much, uh, we do have a situation like the Pirates where you could be a Pirates fan right now. And God, I mean, God knows when they're going to be good again. Um, but the expanded playoffs, the expanded playoffs, make that a little bit. Yeah, that that might help it. I mean, it's it's it's, it's a trick. It's a trick. It's a gift. right. Okay. And, and I'm just bringing all this up because I, you know, just to sort of close out because we're going to be running out of time here pretty soon. Is there a a new way forward for fandom? Is there a new mode of fandom? Maybe not new, but is there a mode of fandom that 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 getting away from the Yankees universe, Red Sox nation? I was born and I die and bleed these colors. Uh, is there a way forward that will be a vibrant kind of fandom without being some weirdo like me who sits and watches it from afar and tries to act like they're above it? Don't you think other sports have uh, provide models for for the kind of fandom that you're talking about, Craig? I mean, if I think about you know soccer fans or certainly you know basketball fans, I mean, this is also tied into the way in which the game is marketed, right? Um, uh, you know, one of the things that the Michael Jordan era did in the NBA was. You know, allow fans to create an attachment to the Bulls and to Jordan, you know, uh, well, really Jordan first and then the Bulls, right? Or Magic, you know, and Bird before that in the 80s. Or Ruth and the Yankees, or Ruth and the Yankees before that. But it's also about the way— We have which... Steph Curry now. There, there are people in Ohio that are yeah. big Curry I mean, fans, yeah. which is ridiculous, I mean, but— The whole the whole notion of a dub nation is, is hysterical. Nobody was into the Warriors aside from people in the Bay Area before, you know, this recent <laughs> iteration. Was, you don't oh, You're count. from the Bay Area. <laughs> You're from the Bay Area. Like, Doug Nation is I, I, was a, I used to say I was a Warriors fan just to stop the conversation about basketball. Really. Yeah, there you Nobody go. knew what to say but, after that. Yeah, like in other words, I mean, there are, I think that the answer to that question is yes. And part of it is about how the, how the game gets marketed, right? You know, um, how Major League Baseball could capitalize on a Tatis figure, you know, assuming he's still I – mean, he's well-paid now, but hopefully he'll keep performing, uh, you know, to create attachments to – you know, to him, you know, even though he plays for the Padres, right? Um, I, I think other other sports have shown that that's, you know, and, and fan bases of the sports have shown that that can be the case. Adrian, do you think a, a player a, a player focused sort of uh, fandom or a marketing based uh, approach or, or a change in TV or things like that? Is there something that's going to transform fandom or are we just going to kind of be in the same mode we've been in for a long time? I think there's been a, tra- a change that we haven't really talked about, and that's about fantasy baseball. 
and you know fandom changed in the in the 80s and 90s as fantasy sports took off and i know of baseball enthusiasts because i don't know if you can call them fans they love their fantasy teams they love them more than they do the yankees or the red sox and i think that has spread across all sports and it does get at the point of are you a fan of the game of a team or of players and if I'm a Yankee fan, and I am, I'm not a Steinbrenner fan. I'm not a, you know, that that's what is odd to me about a strict identification with the team and thinking that the team is the owner and it, they're loyal to you. The owners are loyal to the dollar and they're willing to do anything to get that almighty dollar revenue stream in. And I think that's the biggest challenge that Major League Baseball has in trying to cultivate fans. They're just going after the revenue to such an extreme that it really puts off the possibilities of new fans emerging. Lincoln, uh, your your future of fandom, is it is it the Universal Baseball Association Incorporated by J. Henry Waugh, proprietor, the novel by Robert Coover, in which the lives of individual baseball players are the whole thing, or is it something else? I'm not sure that these are I, I, these three strains that Adrian laid out are, are deeply intertwined. That, that's how I see it. I, I, I know very few people who love baseball and don't have a team. And I know really very few people who really love their team and aren't thinking of themselves as baseball fans in the bigger in the bigger context. We are also I mean, Adrian mentioned fantasy baseball. The other kind of side of that coin is video baseball games, right? MLB, the, the game. I think the show, maybe it's called, I don't play these games. And that's also kind of a gateway, uh, a gateway drug into, into baseball for a lot of people. But as we must recognize that there's a lot, lot, lot of ways to be a fan and that's changing. I think that baseball, you know, we, when, when Frank was talking about Michael Jordan or before him, you know, Magic Johnson and the, and the Lakers, that, but that was Babe Ruth and, and the Yankees. I mean, Babe Ruth was a, an American folk hero you know, Don Mattingly famously said that when he was growing up, he didn't realize that Babe Ruth had been a real person, which maybe speaks more to the public education system in Indiana <laughs> than to anything else. But, 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 but baseball's kind of long been able and sought to market themselves. It's, it's more difficult now uh, just because if you go to a, a Bulls game in Michael Jordan's heyday, you would see him, I don't know, take 50 shots, right? You, you go see a Padres game now. You'll see Tatis come to bat four or five times and maybe have four balls hit his way, maybe more if he's playing shooting a shortstop, maybe six. So it's just a different kind of game. But I, I, I see team, team, the excitement about being a team at the core of this, and I also see that as a very powerful but also potentially and at times very ugly and, and, and very nasty thing too. I mean, the fact that people fight physically because you know, you're wearing a Red Sox hat and I'm wearing a Yankees hat that seems really nuts to me. And I know that people who, I know people who really, I mean, I, I belong to a couple of online fora for baseball fans and, 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 you know, there'll be like fans of teams that are traditional rivals, but they'll talk, you know, whatever. And every now and then there'll be one or two people that just can't stop fighting, but who's going to win a fight about, about the Yankees, or the Red Sox, who's better. I don't know. We both, they're just our teams, right? It's an odd, it's an odd but it's very powerful. And I, and it's a very complex, powerful force in, in our lives. Well, as always is the case, I think Kurt Vonnegut had it best when he defined grand felons or felons 
the group of people who shared an affected identity or purpose, but whose mutual association is meaningless. Uh, maybe that maybe that's what this is, or or maybe there's a meaning that we just haven't been able to scratch the surface of. I don't know if this is if baseball really means something, or if this is the Communist Party, the Daughters of the American Revolution, and the General Electric Company groups that really don't matter. But we'll have uh, to wait for your your book. Your book will break it down for us, and God. then we'll be able to resolve these. Problems. Well, I, I thought I had a good idea for a book, and now in the last forty minutes, I've completely gone <laughs> no, off the rails. No, it's because... a great idea. It's a great <laughs> idea. And read read Jessica Luther and Kavitha Davis's book on fandom. And sports. I have it. Uh, it's, I, it's, it. I think it, it, it's instructive in a lot of ways. Yeah, and we need to get a we need to get a um a linguist on here to tell us what a fandom is a word. Yeah, well, all I know from that is that Prince would not refer to the people who liked his music as fans because the root of the word is fanatic, and he thought that that was extreme in a rude way to describe the people who supported him. I think Prince was probably right in most things, uh, so we'll we'll go with that right now. But uh, we're also sort of running out of time. Any final words, everybody? Uh, go team. Yay, sports. <laughs> Literally, that's the best thing you see about like a political cartoon or something like that is people holding up a, a pennant that says "Go Team Fight Fight" or something like that, just generically right. like that. that that's that's my fight because because fight means have an interaction, right? <laughs> that's my brand of fandom, everybody. Well, we're not going to settle this today. We're not going to settle anything today. Uh, but that's the beauty of a podcast. That's why we have episodes every week, and we will be back next week uh, with the Say It Ain't Contagious podcast with a a rotating uh, or full or something uh, group of. We'll be, of, we'll of be all, all of us next week. Oh, it'll be all, all of us. Of it'll be it'll be six of us, and and Tova will be back. So this will actually be more organized than with with me at the helm. So uh, thank you everybody for joining us. Uh, if you like this, uh, share it with folks. There is a uh, there is a like and subscribe and all that kind of stuff. I think the, what the kids say is smash that like button. Uh, we are available everywhere pod catchers are found. That's all we got this week. We'll talk to you next week on the Saving Contagious Podcast. That sucked. <laughs> I don't know what the hell I'm doing. might have noticed a change in your neighborhood lately. Yep, Sprint stores are now T-Mobile stores. Now that Sprint is T-Mobile, you get more coverage, value, and benefits than ever before. We've invested billions to bring our 5G from big cities to small towns across America. And great coverage is just the start. From high-speed mobile hotspot data to weekly deals and giveaways, our customers get tons of great benefits. Head to your new T-Mobile store to learn more. Qualifying service and capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. Life gets more magical when you dream. So dream of a Disney cruise filled with magic and wonder. <laughs> Hiya, pal! Sail from Florida to Disney's private island paradise and get ready for a dream come true with Disney Cruise Line.